Luke 7, 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came in with the alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If that man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither one of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. Now which one will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I'd entered had not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put any oil on my head, but she poured perfume at my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Mm. The other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word to you this morning, my friends. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you. What a, what a passage. Well, as you notice, we did this passage last week. We're back at it again this week because this passage has more to say to us. Last week, we looked at the way that God initiates relationship with us. We looked at the way that God initiates relationship in our life with his truth and with his mercy. This week, we're looking at the way we respond to God. You can't have a relationship with God without responding to him. He doesn't need you to love you and forgive you, but he needs you to have a relationship with you. Come on. So we look at this woman, and we see her response to Jesus. And it's in a dramatic, public, extravagant display of love. Now, when you look at this woman, it touches Jesus' heart, and it shakes the whole room. It, it dominates the landscape of the whole scene. This woman's love was so memorable, God was like, I want this woman's story. We don't know her name. She doesn't say anything in the entire scene. But God was so moved, this story has been recorded to touch our lives for 2,000 years. Think about that. What this moment meant to Jesus, to have it recorded like that. Because of the greatness of her love, Jesus says. Have you ever had a moment when you, your, the greatness of your love was not so great, and it kind of just fell just a little short of what you had hoped it would be? Ever had a moment when your love wasn't what you thought it could be? I remember 
um, our first Mother's Day, and my wife was pregnant with our first child, and she wanted to get me ready for Mother's Day. She wanted to prime me as a soon-to-be new father, and she said, okay, hon, it's Mother's Day coming up. This is all I want. I would love a little breakfast in bed, and I would love a little gift. That would be awesome. I mean, she just underhand soft pitched this thing to me, made it as easy as possible, right? Even a total knucklehead could get this right. Well, fast forward a couple of weeks. It's Mother's Day. I walk in there, and I've got, uh, I've got breakfast. So, yes, I'm, I've made it. I brought the breakfast in, and she looked, and she's like, okay, so where's my gift? Now, my wife is not really a very materialistic person, but she was just looking for her to see that I was tracking with this new season we were entering together as mother and father. Now, I didn't have a gift. And I looked at her, and I said, really? A gift? I mean, and this is where you'll see just the brilliance of my maturity at this age. I looked at her, and I just said, isn't my, Mother's Day is really about my mom? So I don't know. Why would I do that anyways? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. You're wondering, how is this guy still alive? <laughs> and, uh, yep, well, mercy and grace. Uh, that was the last time I ever pulled that line. And... Uh, Obviously, um, it was a moment where I was grappling with this new season for our life and what it meant for her to be a mom, for me to be a husband, and for us to support each other. But this was like one of those moments where my love didn't quite measure up to what it could have been. And it, we went to the beach later, and I could just see she was talking to some of her friends, and her friends would just t look at me and be like... <laughs> I just laughed. I was like, yeah, I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. It was uh, just one of those moments where we just see our love fall short. And that's what is so beautiful about this scene is that in a way it represents the life that we were all created for. We were created to live lives of incredible love, to be loved and to love others. That really is the purpose and the highest meaning to your life is the way in which you experience and give love, that really is the height and the pinnacle of human life. And I want to just take a moment and look at how Jesus responds to her. Here she, she is in this dramatic public moment of affection. How do you imagine in the scene Jesus is responding to her? Just take a moment to share with somebody, maybe make one word that you think represents what, how Jesus responded to this woman. Is he uncomfortable? Is he uptight? How do you picture Jesus' response? Just share at least one word, an adjective that describes Jesus. Go ahead, just take a quick second here. See if you can come up with one thing to force you to really look at this moment. What do you got? Anybody over here? What's that? Yeah, appreciative. Yeah, Jesus is appreciative. Anything in here? Receptive. What's that? And compassionate. What? Empathetic. Oh, great word. Great word. What? Grace. Embrace. He totally, okay, let's just pause right there. Yeah. Was that your husband's? Yeah, that was his. Oh, come on, bro. She's giving you credit. That's love. Look at that. <laughs> yes. Okay. They, she said he, uh, that he embraced her. Yeah, he totally, what's so amazing about Jesus in this moment is you think it would be obvious, no duh, of course, wouldn't anybody? No, not anybody would. 
And you can see that in Simon. I think Simon reflects a little bit how we all might be tempted to respond, like uncomfortable, awkward, maybe even a little judgmental, like really, is that appropriate here? Come on now. And Jesus is so comfortable. I mean, she's like the vivid detail that Luke gives us, right? Let's walk through it. She is literally crying. All right, that's, that can be awkward for us when we see people weeping and crying. Imagine people cry here. It can be like, whoa, okay. Um, she is wiping his feet with her hair. That's pretty intimate. And she is kissing his feet. And she's pouring perfume. And notice that Luke repeats it twice. First in the setup of the moment, but then Jesus sort of recounts the whole thing, really wanting us to see this moment. How does this moment reveal about the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you? Come on now, just for a moment. What does this scene say to you about the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you in your life right now? Not what the pastor thinks, not what some book told you, but we're looking at Jesus himself. What does it tell you about the kind of relationship that God wants with you? This morning, we're going to talk about this right here, that God wants an intimate relationship with us, and that requires two things from us. Because God doesn't need you to love you, but he needs you to have a relationship with you. Listen to this very carefully. You cannot have a relationship with God without responding and participating with him. A relationship requires reciprocation. And that's what this is about. And there's two things we're going to look at, brokenness and passion. Let's start with brokenness. And to do that, I want to take us to verse 37 again. Let's look at this moment, verse 37, rewind to the very beginning. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So the woman is bringing this alabaster jar. Let's show the image. Now, these alabaster jars are made out of this beautiful stone. And in itself... It's beautiful, and it was used for statues and different artistic designs. There was a beauty to the stone. But the most precious thing about this jar is not the stone itself. It's what's on the inside. And get this, to get the perfume out, first of all, that is an alabaster, it tells you that it's really valuable. It, scholars estimate it was probably worth a year's wage. It was probably the most valuable Thing that she had in her house. So forget, you know, Chanel. This is like next level value. A year's wage. I mean, that's a lot. And as beautiful as the stone is, it's what's on the inside. And the way to get to what's on, on the inside was to, you had to break the neck. Now, this is not a perfume jar, but they were cylindrical and long. And you had to literally break the alabaster to pour the perfume out. Now, it's right there. I want to pause. It's pride is a lot like that. Listen to this. Pride is like that stony material that protects us and others from seeing our need for God's help. On the outside, we carry pride in a way that can be attractive. It's our best foot forward. There's nothing wrong with dressing yourself, showering, and looking good. That, that's a good thing, and you should do that. I'm teaching my teenagers to do that. That's a good thing. But it's the way in which we present our best self to hide and cover up 
the wounds and the brokenness and the imperfections of our life, and in particular, our sin. The way we use these things in our life to hide those parts in us that need healing and forgiveness. Okay, let's just dive into pride for a second. It's the tightness in our stomach when we're corrected. You ever feel that? When someone's correcting you, oh, that tight? Yeah, yeah, that's pride. Pride, it's the despair we feel when we fail. Okay, but here it's even more important to pick up on this. It's the strength we get from looking better than others. You feel strong when someone else in your company fails so you have a better chance of promotion or someone in class doesn't look so, quite so good, maybe that guy will notice you, you know. It's, when other, it's that strength we get at the expense of others. It feels good, but that's pride. Pride is the joy we get from getting our will done over someone else's. Okay, you with me? These are confusing moments because they feel good. They feel like, I want more of that. And it looks attractive on the outside, but like we see with the alabaster, it's just a concealing of what is truly precious and valuable. Now, about brokenness. The, the Bible says this, Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, the message, Eugene Peterson has this great translation, and he's going to really bring out this word picture, which is what brokenness is, right? It's a word picture to, to help you visualize what this word means. Look at how Eugene puts it. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. Okay. So what is brokenness, really? What, what, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about humility. And I love the word brokenness, and we use it here at our church because it gives you this image, something has to be broken. Something has, and that's what this alabaster kind of represents, to get this perfume out. What is that perfume? Well, at the first level, it's, just, it's humility. It's that ability to be honest and transparent about our need for help, for forgiveness, for healing, and for guidance. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the difficulty it is to be honest about those things at times? It's not always easy to be honest when there's need in our life, when there's areas that we need forgiveness or healing or transparency. But listen to this. Every time you confess sin or you face your fault in a conflict first or choose to be vulnerable about a place of weakness— you are breaking pride and allowing humility to grow in your life. Okay, it sounds nice, and we all kind of know that's true, right? That pride actually gets in the way of being um, better at loving people and receiving love. We know that. We know that pride doesn't make us better at loving, but it's so hard because it doesn't feel good sometimes. It doesn't at first feel good. Let me give you an example. I talked about being the first to find fault your fault in a conflict. Can you imagine two couples quarreling? No, no, no. This is my fault. No, no, no. This was my fault. No, 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 no. This is my fault. Can you imagine two people? I know if you don't let me admit fault first, I'm out of here. I'm walking out the door right now. Can you imagine that kind of conflict? Can you imagine if in conflict, if our natural tendency was to find our fault first, how that would change the conflicts in our lives. Imagine how radical that would be. I want you to try it the next time you're in, a, you're in a conflict with somebody, all right? And I want to dare you to be
be the first to find your fault in the conflict. Finding your own fault doesn't mean the other person didn't do anything wrong. So don't worry. It's not about pretending that they're perfect and you, you know, it's all your fault. But it does feel like that. Why are those moments so hard? Ever wonder, why is it so hard in a conflict to admit, okay, 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 I'll go first. This was my fault there. I just had a moment like that with one of my sons. Just, just the other day, we were in this conflict. We were boom, 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 boom. And then finally, I realized, okay, actually get this. Believe it or not, yes, my 15-year-old was right. Yes, it happens. Get ready, parents. This is the most humbling part about parenting, when your kids actually are right and you're having to admit that. <laughs> and I looked at my son, and I'm like, you're right. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, he was just like, what is this tactic? What is this strategy he's using now? Where is he going with it? No, you are right. I assumed something about you, and I am really sorry. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry too. Interesting. And he, it just like the knot that we were in, I want to say it's about 20 minutes. I bet some of us right now are going, yeah, dad, come on, just admit you were wrong, right? No, 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 it's not, don't do that. Don't go and assume the other person, no. It's not about you saying, see, you just need to admit you're at fault first with me, all right? No, no, it's about you looking at yourself. And it just unraveled the tension. Why didn't I want to admit my fault? You ever wonder, when you're in a conflict, I want you to ask yourself that. Why am I having a hard time facing my fault first? It's worth it. Well, the Bible has a really simple answer. It's called what? Pride. It's, that, it's simple. It's not rocket science. You don't need to be a brain surgeon. It's really easy. It's just pride. But listen, when every time you confess sin or you face your fault or you choose to be vulnerable about need or weakness in your life, you're opening yourself up. What the Bible teaches is you're opening yourself to God's mercy, to his grace. It says in the Bible that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is what protects us and makes us feel secure, no doubt. It's like the drawbridge on a castle. That's our pride. It's like, oh, pull that baby up. That, oh, that person is, oh, oh. pull that up. You feel safe, but it's that same protection that keeps love out. Pride makes us feel safe, but pride keeps love out. It makes you impenetrable. It makes what the Bible calls your hard heart, or hard and not soft. It makes us feel secure, but it's a false security. Come on. And what's so beautiful is this woman just comes and she doesn't have any of that. Why? Why is she able to walk into this scene and put all of her guard down. She's not afraid of what people are thinking about her. She's not afraid of being judged. Now, if you're in high school, you can probably relate to how crazy this is. Because at that stage of life, it's so hard to get over what other people think of us. And what people think of us can actually be so painful, it can create depression, anxiety. It can cause us to lose touch with ourself, where we find ourselves dressing or behaving in ways, it's not even us, but it's what we know others will want from us. This woman comes in free. Here's the thing, guys. Humility doesn't put us in bondage to feeling terrible about ourselves. Humility frees us to not live enslaved to what other people think of us. Now, that's the truth and the gift. Why? Why does humility do that? 
Think for a moment. Why does humility actually free us and not enslave us? Why is it actually not? It's flipped from what we think. Oh, if I'm humble, now I just got to just feel bad about myself. No, the Bible says if you humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. Why is that? All right, well, that's where we get to the next point, passion. Let's talk about passion for a minute. Verse 47, look at this moment where Jesus is talking about the woman. He's going to give us some insight. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her what? Yeah, her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Check that out right there. That is so profound. It's so simple. But if we could just trust this idea, this simple but world-changing idea that the more you are open to accepting and seeing your need and experiencing forgiveness, the more loving you're going to become, the more free you're going to become to be loved and to love other people. And that's true in our marriages and our friendships. It's even true about our ability to just love and accept ourselves. Why is that? Okay, here we go. Um, well, I, wanted, I, won't, I don't want to go there. Let's go here. It's breaking the alabaster jar that releases the fragrance of the perfume, okay? And the perfume represents a couple things. It represents, number one, her great love. But for us, it represents the yearning in our life to live passionately, right? Nobody wants to live like a tepid, mediocre, complacent, lukewarm life. Anyone here hungering for that kind of life? Please, just give me a lukewarm life and I will be so satisfied. Not many of us, right? We want to live passionately. What's this unpack this word? What, what does passion mean? It comes from the Latin word patior, which get this, it means to suffer. Now, when you think of passion, don't we normally think of people with intense emotion and excitement and energy? We think of temperaments and personality types. Passion is not fundamentally about your emotional level. To be passionate doesn't mean you're constantly exploding with emotion. It doesn't mean you're this intense, necessarily outgoing person. And the real meaning of a passionate life is in its me- the etymology of the word, to suffer. It's what you're willing what you love enough to pay any cost for, what you're willing to sacrifice for. It's loving something enough to sacrifice for it. So your passion level is how much are you willing to sacrifice for what you love? That's your passion right there. Now, that's a really important idea because in it is the idea that to really love, we have to sacrifice. And if you're not comfortable with sacrificing, you're not able to really experience love. It asks something of us. We were created to live like passionately. So let me give you some examples. Number one, when we are passionate about a sport, we're willing to endure pain to get stronger. Are you with me? Come on now. No pain, what? No gain. We know it. We know it. And we live by it, right? Number two, we are passionate about our family. We sacrifice time at work. When you're passionate about your kids, you sacrifice your sanity, sleep, and any sense of style. Are you with me? I mean, it's just how it is. It's just how it is. That's passion. How about this? We are, when we're passionate about a, about a dream, right, 
we're willing to sacrifice comfort to take the risk and pursue that dream. Are you with me on this? You see that. And here's the thing. We were created to live passionately, to live for something worth sacrificing for. And there's glory in that. It's when we feel the most fully alive. Like I said, the opposite is what? What's the opposite of passionate? Let's go up there, right? Indifference, apathy, coldness, frigidity, complacency. Come on. Now, this is what's so cool. When you look at this woman, this woman, her passion is not in her crying. It's not in the weeping. It's actually in her readiness and willingness to give up the most costly thing in her entire home, and that was this alabaster jar. And she brings that, and she's willing to break that as a love offering to God. What does that say about what God wants from you? What does that tell you about what God wants? He wants you to be willing to allow your pride to be broken. All the different ways in which we are covering up our fear of not being worthy or deserving enough of being loved, all the ways we cover up all the imperfections in our life, all the ways in which we try to hide that. He's like, hey, stop the game and let me see who you really are. And she's willing to do that. In the same way God the Father sacrificed the most precious thing to his heart for you. Now this is what we, what we Christians call the gospel. Now I want to read this verse to you. It's a well-known verse, but it's so significant because it's going to reveal to you how God feels about you. Here we go. John 3.16. Let's read this out loud together. You ready? Follow with me. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, pause, who? Everyone. I mean, anyone, everyone. It doesn't matter what happened last night. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what kind of temperament you are. It doesn't matter what your spiritual background is. It's for everyone. And the only way that was possible, well, let's keep reading, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Wow. Here's the thing. This woman is willing to receive Jesus' unconditional love. Doesn't that sound nice, to receive unconditional love? Who here could use a dose of unconditional love in their life right now? Come on, raise a hand. Come on, who could use some of that? How many people could use that for someone else? Like, I need more unconditional love for this person. Come on. Anybody here need to, need to, uh, yeah. come on. Living a passionate life is about loving sacrificially. That's what God is showing us. What is the purpose of human life? There is no greater purpose for your life than to know God's love for you and to love others sacrificially. That is like the pinnacle. That is what you were made for. But you can only give the love that you receive. Now that's really important. Think about that. You can only give the love that you're willing to receive. When you learn to receive God's unconditional love, it fills your life with an unconditional love. But what the scriptures are teaching is but for that to happen, you have to be willing to open the most vulnerable parts of your life 
to that love. It means admitting where you don't have it figured out. It means admitting the place of sin in your life. The things that you think would actually make you unlovable, those are the things that you need to open up. I remember I was at a point in my relationship with Stacy. We were dating, and things got real, were getting serious, all right? We were getting there. And it got to, I knew it was getting serious when I started to be more open with her at this stage of my life with my struggle with depression. I started letting her into this. I started letting her see that on the surface, you see a happy-go-lucky guy. You just see someone who's laughing and smiling, having a good time. But what you haven't seen is this other part of me, and I'm really struggling every day just to put a smile on my face right now. And I didn't want her to see it because if she saw that, my fear was that she'd be like, whoa, this guy's gnarly, he's intense, I'm out of here. And that right there was a decision point for me. Do I let her see this? Do I let her know the whole truth about me? Now, you don't go throw this stuff randomly to everybody. You know what I mean? You don't just go, that, that's just like weird, you know, indecent exposure. You don't just go showing people emotionally everything about your life unless there's trust and closeness to reveal that part of your heart. But we were there, and I had to decide, do I let her into this part of my life? Have you ever had a place in your life that you knew you needed to let somebody into? A parent, a friend, but they're, you know, for a reason you couldn't name, there was a fear to let somebody into that place. Can you think of a place like that for yourself? It's right there. That's the place right there where God wants you to experience and know it is unconditional love that he has for you. It's opening those places of our hearts. The things that we think disqualify us, it's letting God into there that allows us to experience a love that we could never earn or deserve. Would you like some of that? It takes a leap of faith. So I said, okay, babe, all right, all right, I gotta let you know what's going on. And so I let her in, and I let her know what I was struggling with. And I said, I don't know, I don't know how you would want to put up with this. Why would you want to marry a guy who's got this brokenness in his life? And she's, you know what she said to me? Something that I'll never forget, and it changed my life. It really was that powerful. She said, as long as you will let me in and walk with you through it, we can do this. But if you insist on keeping this away from me, this could never work right there. That's how God feels about you. It's letting him in right there. Where does God, what in your life makes you feel like, man, if someone saw this, if someone knew this about me, I would be so embarrassed. I would just feel like my life was falling apart. Where is that place in your life that God is saying, let me there? That's it. I want to invite the band to come out. As the band comes out, Listen to these great words from Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This whole scene with the woman, her passion, her love, it's not because she's, oh, Jesus is going to be impressed when he sees this perfume. Man, when he sees this, he's going to be like, wow, I got I to got, I just... I got to just say something about this. No, it's not because she's hoping it will make him love her. It's because she's already experienced it. Every Sunday when we come here, we come into this room to be vulnerable and to open our hearts to God. And we, 
look to one another to find the courage to make that vulnerability, to open our lives to God in a deeper way than we did before. Just a little bit more, God. Just give him a little bit more so that you can know, man, nothing truly can ever separate you from God. Nothing can diminish his love for you. The quality of our life is not going out and just trying harder and doing better. It is, as Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you get to go love other people. And there is, that is the passionate life that we were made for. And it doesn't come from just doing all the right religious activity. It just really truly comes and begins with having the courage once again to say, okay, even this, this right here, this thing in my life can't separate me from God's love. Is there a place like that in your life right now that God wants to heal, forgive, and touch? Jesus ends by saying to the woman, your faith has saved you. What's so cool is when she walks into this scene and she does this whole thing, it doesn't impress Jesus and make him want to love her. She does this whole thing because she's already experienced his love. But when she does walk in the room and do this whole scene in front of everybody, the way she responds like this publicly and sacrificially what it does is it allows her in this whole moment to see and experience God's love at an even greater level. Not because it made God love her, it allowed her to receive it at an even deeper way. I remember the night I accepted Jesus, I was alone in my room by myself. I had an encounter with God and his love for me that was like, you know, God, this is better than anything else. I am ready to give up these other things in my life, this party life, not because you're supposed to or you have to, but because knowing you, God, is actually that much better. I want to know you more. But later, a couple of weeks later, I was at church, and this preacher gave an invitation. And he gave an invitation. If you want to accept Jesus, I want to invite you right now to stand, come down to the front. When I stood, I didn't stand thinking, oh, now God's going to really love me. No, no, no. That wasn't why I stood. I stood as a declaration. I want everyone to know that I love God. There's something when God's love gets in you, you just want to let it out. But when I stood, I have to say that in doing that, it allowed me in that moment to just open my heart even more to say, you know what, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I'm not going to live my life dictated by what others think. I want to live my life, God, free and energized by what you think of me and you alone. There's a freedom in that, and that's what you see with this woman. It's why on a regular basis we like to give people an opportunity to respond. It's not because it earns God's love anymore. It's not, it doesn't make you more spiritual, but it does represent an act of faith. And what does Jesus say? It's your faith that has saved you. Your faith is a way of responding to God. It doesn't earn God's love, but it's what allows you to receive and welcome that love. When we stood at the altar together, my wife and I, my wife gave me this ring. This didn't make me love her at all any more than I already did. Like, I can tell you honestly, not even an 
ounce of love grew in my heart because she gave me this ring. But as she gave me that ring in front of a room full of people, it allowed the love that was between us to grow even stronger and deeper in our hearts. Not because it was earning it, because it was receiving what was already there. Like right now, I want to give you a chance to respond in faith. And maybe some of you have never opened your life to God's love, or maybe you're just in a point in your life where you can't say that your life is being fueled and energized by an experience of God's love for you. It's heavy. You're trying to get things done, but it's disconnected from a deep awareness that God is with you, loving you. And it's not about you trying to earn something with your career or your choices. It's about the other way. It's about allowing all that to overflow from what you already know is true about who you are in Christ. And if you would need to open your heart to him for the first time and experience a love that is greater than any sin or weakness in your life, if there is a need to renew that love, then I want to give you a chance like this woman to just dec- to open your heart to him right now. And I want to invite you to stand. It's a crazy thing to stand. But right now, wherever you're standing, I want to invite you just to stand in response to his love for you. And if you sense it in your heart, I see you. This is your way of saying, God, I don't want to live my life driven by what others think. I want to live free, driven by what you think of me. God bless you. I remember... um, 25 years ago as I stood the next person next to me stood and then the person next to me stood there's something amazing when we get to see people courageously standing for God it just fills our hearts with faith for the next person to say you know what I want that too that's what that's something that's the reason why we come together every Sunday it's to inspire and encourage each other to be vulnerable, to say, God, I need you in my life. And that's what your standing represents. It's an act of vulnerability. God, I need you. I'm willing to admit that I need you in my life. I can't do this without you. I don't want to do it without you. All right, if you're sitting next to these guys, these courageous guys who are standing, would you just stand and put a a gentle hand on their shoulder? Gentle hand. Just real quick, let's just give them a blessing. God, I just pray right now that you would fill each heart that is responding to you with a fresh filling of your grace, your truth, and love. You don't need us to love us, but you do need us to have relationship with us. And as they stand, God, they are receiving you into their heart. And I just pray that, God, you would fill them with your spirit. So just pray this simple prayer with me. If you're standing, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of my sin. And renew my life again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on now. Let's just give a round of applause for these guys. Come on. Woo! Hey, listen, before we go, if you stood, we got a team of people. We got Russo. We got a team of people that are ready to pray with you. We got Kelly. 
Um, don't let this moment just be an emotional moment that you move on from. Just let us pray with you. We're not going to kidnap you and take you to the mothership. We're just going to give you a few, few, a few free resources, and we're just going to pray with you and let the moment really sink in. That's all. Come on. God is on the move in our community. He's in the move, on the move in your life. He doesn't need you to love you, but he needs you to respond and open your heart to him, to have relationship with you. I want to pray a closing blessing over you. Let's stand for a moment. God, as we stand, we stand into our destiny and our identity as your salt and light. We are your fragrance of love in the world, but we can't be that fragrance without first being filled with your love. And I pray that, Lord, as we go out of here, we will go out with a renewed confidence that nothing can separate us from you. Help us to be the first, God, to admit our fault in conflict. Help us, God, to be open and honest about places of sin and need in our life. And God, help us to open up more and more this week to the places that you are trying to fill us with unconditional love and make us the fragrance of your love to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.